0: Uh, You know, I, I thought of a really funny bit that would be cool to do at some point. As, like, a, I don't know, fucking uh, a, a buy me a coffee exclusive edited version of the bundle <laughs> bourgeoisie, uh, where we both edit our own part and then we stick them together and release it like that. Just like completely out of context. We both edit what we think needs edited from our own and then we mash <laughs> them together and see what it is.
1: <laughs> so, are you, are you, this, that's in, an interesting proposition. You're saying that we essentially remove just the parts where we're talking about our own games, so we're just critiquing ourselves? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we only critique our own, and then... <laughs> that would be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> we just see how
0: it lines up.
1: <laughs> uh, Well, hi, everybody. My name is David. I am a fairy godmother from another mother. Uh, and I'm Johnny Bartlett, and
0: I am the the seed that is planted inside that fairy godmother to grow into a fairy god tree.
1: How beautiful. And this is the bundle bourgeoisie. <laughs> Where we oh, talk about I, games from the humble choice bundle. Yeah, sorry, I just got distracted by your eyebrow wiggles. It just completely <laughs> entranced me. I, just staring deeply into your eyebrow wiggles that no one else can see. Yeah, uh, just pure audio medium. Like. Pure audio medium. No one can see your eyebrows except for me. It's a, it's a beautiful little intimate secret you just shared with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I'm so excited to talk about the games this month. It, we we may have me missed too. a couple. We may have missed. We a couple. missed a couple I, games. I mean a, m- a couple months <laughs> of, like, of the bundle? No they, yeah, they stopped I mean. for a little bit They stopped doing the bundle for a little bit <laughs> I mean, We stopped doing the bundle for a little bit <laughs> <laughs> I actually Well I did play most of the games The only game that I didn't play out of the ones That we kind of chose for each other was Twin Mirror I think it was It was the, 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 the one by Don't Nod Which is made by the people who made Life is Strange or, Which we're yeah. going to be talking about later mm-hmm. uh,
0: Stay tuned what a, what a little sneak peek there
1: yeah Uh, speaking of which should we just like tell what games we have this month or something yeah you just just want
0: to jump straight into this
1: yeah why not uh starting out we got beacon pines then we have there is no light destroy all humans 2 reprobed is coming up after that children of silent town
0: scorns up after that
1: oaken maybe a little bit of snowtopia
0: and then finally life is strange true colors
1: excited to get into it and uh let's just jump right in for the first game here beacon pines this is developed by a developer i haven't heard of before named hiding spot uh you looked at this game ephemerid you said it looked really cute and uh definitely gonna have to be checking that one out too the publisher uh his fellow traveler honestly a bunch of genuine sleeper hits including (laughs) citizen sleeper uh pale beyond which is in one of the previous bundles suzerain paradise killer uh they even published pester quest for some reason (laughs) the the homestuck game uh i remember them very early on because of a game called vertiginous golf it was released a very long time ago i played with a bunch of friends that's this this publisher uh they published a lot of really good like kind of out of the way hits Uh, This game is 1999, and it shares a similar structure to one of my favorite visual novels, and I did not know that going in, uh, which made me immediately uh, dig it a lot. If you didn't know, uh, Virtue's Last Reward, the second in the Zero Escape series, is like one of my favorite visual novels, and it has a gameplay structure that's essentially a branching narrative where you can choose to go to any of the different branches at any point. So you can learn information in one branch and then go down a different branch and use the information that you learned in that other branch in this other space. That's what this game does, but on a much smaller scale. Uh, it is a narrative-based kind of visual novel. Uh, it's very, very much in the presentation of like a choose-your-own-adventure book brought to life with this narrator who narrates all of the 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 text dialogue that happens in between the chapters, uh, though there isn't actually like in-game tech, like voices for the actual characters. It's all just text. Um, it has this charm system that I've been alluding to, which is basically the just like, it's like a keyword system where you, uh, the first one that you get is like you walk through a field of lilies, uh, or like dandelions or something, and it tickles your nose and then you sneeze. Uh, and so you learn the charm tickle uh and you can use that later uh in like different story moments and you can say like all right how are you going to get out of the situation luca uh and you use the tickle charm to be like all right when in danger use a little tickle and then you you tickle them to try to get out of the the situation (laughs) and so because of that you have to like go down different branches in order to get the charms that you need down other branches it's uh a lot more condensed than Virtue's Last Reward. Virtue's Last Reward is like a very large, open kind of branching system, whereas there's only like two or three main branches to this story, uh, but they all have a bunch of different ways that they can go, because each critical plot point uh, you can use like multiple different charms at, and some might just lead to like a game over, uh, and you, those, you know... You know you just go from there and then there's like a button that you can press to literally go back to any one of those big decision moments and then just choose a different charm really quickly. Uh, so you don't waste any time having to replay segments which is really nice. Um, and there are a lot of endings in this game but to be honest most of them are bad. Uh, there's some that are like bad but in like a really interesting way and like they even make this joke at the ending of one of them where it's like stay tuned beacon pines Two, electric boogaloo (laughs) and and then they were just like just kidding we'd never do that we actually want to put it all in the single game thank you so yeah it's it's a really fun game it's got uh very goonies vibes it's got that like kind of you're you're a 12-year-old kid, and you're getting in way over your head investigating things that you shouldn't be doing. Uh, and there's, like, this kind of overtone of that you can't really trust the people in town that, like, you know, you've lived here all your life, but for some reason it feels like the adults are still not telling you something, that there's still something that you're missing about the town... And there's a lot of really interesting mysteries to investigate, like, immediately, because uh, the main character that you're playing as is a 12-year-old kid who six years ago, his dad just died. And then six months ago, his mom just left. And so you have these mysteries of, like, well, how exactly did, did dad die? Where exactly is my mom? And then your grandma is taking care of you, but then it seems like she's not taking, like, telling you everything because uh, she's been gone for a long time and she just sort of came in to take care of you and it seems kind of strange uh, and, and so there's just all all kinds of weird little mysterious things going on in town it's so much fun to investigate them and uh, after a while it, it's like, like a bit of a slow start but when it starts getting a little darker I feel like that's when most people get really hooked this game has like a really high percentage rate for completing the whole game and I think that it's because it's just like the kind of game that you can't put down once you've started it I, I stayed up late trying to finish it when I started it uh, on my own, and I, I couldn't finish it. I th- I, the entire day at work, I, I was working so diligently, so excited for getting home and finishing that and, and getting to uh, uh, finish the game. Uh, and I, I did really enjoy it. Uh, they even added a couple extra little mini games after launches, post-launch content. Because uh, to be honest, most of the charms that you get in this game are not actually plot critical. Like, you don't actually need a, many of them in order to get through the different branches because there's only, like, three main branches. Uh, so most of them are used in this, like, extra side minigame. One of them is this fishing minigame. And if you're in the fishing minigame, you know, I'm going to be there. And uh, basically, you just, like... Everything's better with fishing. <laughs> you choose different charms that you get. Like, one is junk. Uh, and then when you choose the junk charm, you go looking through the tackle box for something and you pull out, like, well, basically a sticky hand and you put that on the hook and then throw it in and then every time you bring, so cute. bring something back you bring back an object it's, it's like a different object you never actually catch any fish <laughs> <laughs> which in a way might actually be plot relevant because <laughs> at the very end the guy catches his first fish and uh, it might be because of your actions but i won't say anymore uh it's it's a very interesting little game. and I guess I'll, I'll dip a little bit into the story. I don't want to get too much into spoilers because I do think that this is a game that uh, a lot of people would really enjoy. Uh, but it's, it's about this town called Beacon Pines that used to just have like seven people. And it was like a company town built around like a fertilizer plant. And so a lot of the game is about uncovering the history of that plant and what happened when there was this thing called the foul harvest where, you know, something went horribly wrong and the founder died and you don't really know, you know, the whole story there, but it, it, it severely affected the whole town. And now there's this really rich Valentine family, which is sort of like a descendant of that fertilizer company and this new company called perennial harvest that's moved in. Uh, and every time you pass by their building there's this guy outside with a clipboard who's always asks you how your day is going and he jots down notes furiously that's like a little bit of an extra mystery you don't really know what's going on there i, I i'll just say that it's, it's a very good game about like the carefreeness of childhood and like uh despite any looming childhood trauma it's about like these kids just trying to be kids in this small town uh there's like a best friend character who I I it was a little bit annoying but I also found very endearing because he's extremely media obsessed there's like this one comic book that he always goes to the library in town to read uh it's like the thing that all the kids in town read but he like his his whole life is around it he made like his treehouse his mission control because it's like this I think it's called Hank Atomic or something like that it's like a sci-fi sort of serial, <laughs> and I—that's I, how me and my friends were when I was younger. You know, like we 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 hung out and we pretended to play Final Fantasy, but in real life, you know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> we took turns in turn-based combat. Uh, <laughs> it's just that, that kind of goofy kid stuff, and it, 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 this game did a good job of reminding me of what it's like being that age, around twelve, where it's like you know swear words, but you're trying not to use them because you know that people around you, like your mom, will get upset. And like, <laughs> you know, you're, you're you're kind of old enough to get into trouble, but not really old enough to understand what all the ramifications of that would be. Uh, and it's it's just a very charming, lovingly told tale. And it's very funny at times, too, deeply funny at times. Which uh, one of the other games I'm going to talk about is is not as funny <laughs> as. <laughs> I'll I'll just start from here. Those plot critical moments that I just discussed that are now deleted from history, uh, are. So mind-bending and completely reshape what you thought about the game, and like how you go down other paths changes with this dramatic irony of like, oh, I know that this one character is actually evil, even though he they just seem like a normal person, uh, or or like this other person is working with this other person, and now I know that, but then this other plot I don't. So you have this dramatic irony: the character, you know something that the characters don't. Uh, and it's it's really, really smart and beautiful. This is a saver. Uh, this one took me by surprise. It's an, a very, very enjoyable mystery game. Uh, it's darker than it looks, but it never outstays its welcome. Uh, it's got some great ideas about uh, what it means to change as like a small town, whether it's good to change or if it's okay to stay the same, uh, whether or not it's okay to rapidly advance the, the pace of industrialization. Or if it's okay to, to, to slow down and, and uh, as one of the characters say, uh, work slow and fix things uh, rather than go fast and break things. Uh, that's sort of like the Hell big yeah. the big lesson and it's one that I really agree with. So I, I didn't stream it, but I'm kind of glad that I didn't because I want other people to play this and feel all the different twists and the, the story beats that I did because it's a really fantastic game.
0: Speaking of small-town vibes and uh, being a child in a world where grown-ups are lying to you and you don't know the full truth, uh, Children of Silent Town is a lot of those same themes and ideas that are being discussed. It's a game made by Elf Games and Luna 2 Studio, who also did Little Briar Rose, and it was published by...
1: Datalic. They're the people that made Deponia!
0: Yeah, they are. Daedalic Entertainment. They're the people who made Deponia and New Cycle and Fling to Finish and Borrow Trauma and Unrailed and Iron Danger and Felix the Ripper and a whole lot of games you see in the bundle, usually. This is a game that runs 1999 outside the bundle, and it's a, it's a cute little charming point and click adventure game. Uh, you kind of... It's not super innovative. There's There's one interesting mechanic they use throughout the game where... You know, it's very standard point and click, find objects on the ground, use those objects where you need to interact with them with. But eventually you unlock the ability to sing. You get like little songs you unlock as you find notes throughout the town and hear things play instruments and, and, you know, sing with your mom and stuff. And the songs do different things that unlock other, like, actual little puzzle mini games to, you know, open up a character so that they'll talk uh, to you about a certain event or recall the memories of an item that's sitting on the ground. So you kind of, like, use these little puzzles that are, like, you know, trace the line of this sewing needle to the exit kind of thing going through the buttons or. Uh, what's the other little mini game there's one where it's like click on these little eyeballs to light up the paths and you're trying to like light up all the squares Uh, and then there's one where you're setting like gears down and rotating pieces to do the little pipes game where you get a trail to the end essentially like a solid path and so they're like very simple puzzles uh, but it's kind of it's kind of a break from the standard point and click where it's all just sort of like figuring out where these objects are used and how they interact with people in the world. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic and it fits kind of fits in with the themes of the story. I don't know. Uh, I have a lot of weight. I have a lot of beef with how this game presented the stories and the way that that wasn't translated through the gameplay. Uh, Which I'll get into in a second. Um, But something really interesting that this game did was, as you get further into the game, the mechanics, like the very basic mechanics of these puzzles and the singing, develops and gets used in different ways. Like, they teach you how to do the puzzles in, you know, the second chapter, and then in the fourth chapter, you're doing the same puzzles, but now there's an element of, like, when you rotate the gears, you can accidentally line it up with a bad path that you can't line up with and if you get the bad path then you have to like you have to solve it without lining up into that piece or you know the sewing puzzle now has like little teleporters that teleport you across the playing field so you you get these like interesting new mechanics to the puzzle and then in the last chapter a uh, very minor spoiler here you interact with one of the monsters which i'll talk about in this story a bit but you interact with one of the monsters and your songs you can use to control the creature. So it's like, you can sing one way and it'll follow you. You'll sing another and it'll stop. And you'll sing the third, the third song. will let it like stand up and interact with objects. So it, it, it adds this interesting layer of, like, you were using the songs to solve the puzzle, but now you're using the songs to control a second character, Mm. which was really cool, because then they added some puzzle elements that are like, oh, you make your guy sit here, and then you go push the other button, and now you open up a path, or uh, there was one really cool implementation of it that I was like, man, I really wish they, like, developed on this further and earlier in the game, because you like you fall down and all of a sudden you're playing this almost like split screen game where you're controlling the creature by song from below to make it like move around and follow you as you move down to interact with objects so that you can get yourself out.
1: Mm. Uh,
0: It was a really cool layer of adding that interaction on and like making a lot more depth out of what was a very simple mechanic that I really enjoyed. And I wish I wish there was a lot more of that in the game uh but to get into the story a little bit it was the story was okay um you are small town child you're a little like 11 year old girl in this small town of like 12 people so there's not a lot of people it's mostly other kids and you interact with some of the adults in a world where it's like You live at the edge of the forest and there are monsters in the forest. So, you know, we do not go out after night. We do not go into the forest. We do not sing or play loudly or dance. You know, it's very much like we do. We cannot draw the monsters attention to this town because people go missing. The monsters will come in town at night into the town at night and steal people and they'll steal the bad people. So don't sing. Don't be loud. Don't be rambunctious or you'll get stolen by the monsters. Uh, which is, it's, it's a very, I don't know, I feel like it's a common theme with like children's stuff, uh, but it, it's, it's, you know, developed in a very interesting way that it is like the children are actively questioning this. They're like, I don't get it, you know, why are the, why are they telling us to not sing and dance and be loud when like. You know, my uncle got taken by the monsters, and he was great. he was well behaved he was really afraid of the monsters, so he was not the kind of person that would have broken the rules, but he still got tooken- taken so why Why do these rules exist? Mm. so the game goes into that, and it develops uh with you know your character getting more incentive to investigate what's going on in the forest and what's happening and like what these rules are actually about. Uh, and it eventually, you know, follows that progression of going into the forest and trying to track things down and unravel the mystery, so to speak. It's kind of interesting, but it's, I felt a lot of, the like, themes and discussion, especially, like... I mean, the game is called Children of Silent Town. And silence does not play a role in this game at all. <laughs> and I really wanted... Like, I wanted there to be clever sound design and clever, de- like, game design that was playing with the silence of, like if you use your singing ability too much, then like that might cause consequences or cause the world to react in some way. But like all it was, was just, you know, parents lecturing you like, don't sing. (laughs) Um, so there was like this big disjoint in the narrative and like the way the game was actually playing out to it, that it was like, the characters don't give a shit about being noisy. They're noisy all the time. They're talking, they're singing, they're running around. And it's just like everyone around you is telling you, no. (laughs) Um, But in a sense, it does kind of play into that of, like, if you look at it deeper of, like, I as a player am doing these things, and nothing bad is happening, so are these parents actually lying to us, or is it, you know, an actual thing to be worried about? Uh, So, I don't know. I wanted it to play a bigger role, but also I kind of see from that... Area of like, it actually wasn't meaningful in the end, like narratively. And so I understand why it wasn't meaningful in the gameplay. And it talks, you know, just just like you mentioned in your game, you know, it talks a lot about, like, listening and respecting your elders and the rules of society. It, like, do we just blindly follow things, even though they don't make sense? Or, like, why were these rules written? And how can we come to understand generations later that, like, this is still a rule we follow. This is why it needs to be followed. Or, was that rule just arbitrarily put in place because someone feared something and they ascribed that fear to a thing that was incorrect? And now we're all just blindly following this rule for no reason because the people who made it didn't actually know what was going on. Or, uh, like, how do we break from those generational practices? How do we, like, prove that the rule is, you know insignificant or unimportant for whatever reason uh you know like the fears of the unknown and like what lies in the forest and placing the blame on the like things on the other side that we don't know about or understand instead of like reflecting and figuring out like what is actually going on at the root and just like you know implementing rules in society to keep us safe from things because the result of the rule keeps us safe even if it's not the actual consequence that was leading to the things to begin with uh which i think is an interesting discussion that like it it's kind of hit on in this game it doesn't go too in depth but i i think like if you look through the facade of writing it's kind of talked about a lot which is really nice and it's it's a cool thing to think about um I do uh, my. <laughs> there's okay. There's one thing I want to fucking talk about with this game <laughs> and the puzzles because there was a moment in this game that I was like, God damn it! That's so frustrating. Okay, uh,
1: was, it, was it? It's just one of those point and click things because I played Dayluk's previous game, Toponia, and I was so fucking frustrated some of those puzzles it's like are you fucking kidding me are you are you fucking kidding me are you really okay
0: (laughs) there's there is a lot of that yes (laughs) because it's a fucking point-and-click game and that's what they do a lot is like "Eh, the secret was going back to the spot you visited and something changed
1: that you could interact (laughs) with now oh (laughs) i got so fucking frustrated with deponia i couldn't i even had trouble following the goddamn guide like using a guy <laughs> it's so esoteric sometimes like and it's this, this one is true not that classic point and click adventure games where it's like yeah you might spend a couple days on this just clicking around trying to figure out what the fuck to do
0: <laughs> there was there was one point where i was like i'm gonna fucking google this i didn't end up needing to because i was like i'm just gonna walk through everything again go because th- thankfully the map is very small there's okay. like two, three, there's four areas in the town and they're all like, there's a town square. Each area branches off. It's like five steps into each area. So it's a very small map and area to explore, uh, which made it much easier to like do all the backtracking that the game requires you to do. Uh, and there was a lot of things of, like, I go here, I grab this object, I leave, I interact with this person, they give me the object to go back there, to interact with this other object, to come back, to give them the object back, to (laughs) go get the
1: object, to go over
0: here, to go interact with this other object, so that I can go back and go over here to the area I need to go. So
1: absolute arcane bullshit. (laughs) Absolutely,
0: absolutely, so much just, like, back and forth, like, let me get the crate, to get the cherries, to get the, the... Shears to get the rope to go and climb over the wall. <laughs> 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 so, a, a lot of that. But there is an especially egregious moment when you get into the forest. Uh, like, the most complex puzzle this game has, which was kind of cool to see that, like, they didn't just stick to, like, the traditional point-and-click stuff, and they had some, like, interesting puzzles. Um, you're in this, like, water well area, and you're routing water, and you're trying to get the water to flow into these, uh, basins, so that, like, they fill up, you get a key, you put the key into a slot, the slot lets you push a lever, and the lever opens a gate based on how many keys are there. Uh, so kind of a really, like, standard mechanic, easy to figure out what you're doing. Uh... Two of the basins were, like, super easy. You you route the water there, and then there's just some strings you pull to, like, make the water flow in the correct direction to fill it up. Super easy, super understandable. One of them was just very standard, here's the mechanic. One of them was like, here's the mechanic, but also you have to grow a plant to route some water to get a thing to fill a hole. Um, And then... The next one was like, oh, it's invisible, but you can make it seen by using one of your abilities, which you kind of know about already, so you just have to, like, think about using it. Um, Once you, like, see the water route to the area where there's nothing, it becomes very obvious. Like, there's supposed to be something here. Let me try to use my ability. And then... You get to the kind of fucked ones. (laughs) Because there's... Okay, so there's six in total right there's only five stones that you need to lift the gate which is like okay cool so one of these is a red herring obviously like it's supposed to be oh i'm supposed to do something here but not so let me go try the other one um but what actually happens And they don't give you any fucking indication of this at all throughout. So I spent like an hour and a half trying to figure out what I needed to do on these two possible ones that weren't the red herring, hopefully, uh, because I had gotten four of them. And so I spent like an hour and a half trying to figure it out. One of them has like two things you have to stand on at the same time. I couldn't find any objects. I researched over and over again trying to find an object to set on this or something because it was like something you'd never been introduced to before. Uh, and the other was just missing the basin entirely. So I was, like, trying to find, like, you le- trying to use my ability everywhere, looking in all these nooks and crannies. Couldn't find it at all. But what I ultimately found out, after, like, an hour of trying this, I'm like, okay, fuck it. I don't think there's any way to do these two. I don't know what they're all about. I can't figure this out. So I'm just gonna go back and put the four in and pull the lever and see what happens. So I put four of the five in, and I pull the lever. And it's like, boop. oh, wow, it got stuck there. That's so weird. That's just at my height to pass through. (laughs) So you get four of the five so that your child can sneak underneath. (laughs) (laughs) And then later on, you come back with the tools to get the other two. One of them opens it up so the monster can come through with you and the other gets you back to the town. So they're like, they're, they're not used until you revisit the spot, like, you know, a couple minutes later after you've done the next little area, but there's nothing to indicate that. So you're just stuck here trying to solve this problem that they give you no indication of, is not needed at all? Like they've given, they introduce new puzzles and things that you can't do that like, they don't make, they don't make it apparent that you can't do it. They just make it seem like you're missing the information. And it just kind of like, you have to try it on a whim. (laughs) To just go to the next area, so it was yeah. <laughs> uh, between that and the, like the pacing of the game is kind of bad. It's real slow. The writing isn't like super well done. Uh, I really, really wish that like chapter five was chapter two and they just continued to develop off the ideas and like the changes and mechanics and the new things they were introducing in chapter five. Because I feel like chapter five is where the game got interesting, like the gameplay itself. It was like they are using these tools in a new way that's cool and unique and it it feels interesting and i want to play more of this game at chapter five and then it ends and Uh, it's like god damn it i wish that was chapter two so that was the game um all in all this game was probably like a labor for me it's cute but I don't think it was for me. I had a, I already have a hard time with point-and-click games. They're just, like, they're boring. And this one didn't really justify the investment for me. It was short enough that I was able to get through it all. Um, and I think it's okay if you like the style and want a change of pace, especially for, like, seeing the way they do the Chapter 5 mechanics is kind of cool. Uh, I... I think it's a great game for a young audience. Like, if you have a kid that would resonate with these themes and the characters and stuff, like, I I would have fucked with this game as a kid. I would have been like, yeah, the parents are lying to us! Fuck them! And, like, it would have been so great, and it would have, like, it's great to teach people to, like, question authority, and question the rules, and, like, to make an understanding, and seek the, like, why, so you understand it, and you know if it's important and meaningful, and, like, I, I think it's a good game for ki- for like younger audiences. I think I think if you have younger folks that you could play this with, it's easy enough mechanics to pick up and enjoy, but I am not young and I already have a strong disrespect for authority, so uh <laughs> labor for me. Aw,
1: oh, that's understandable. Uh not everything can be, you know, a savory uh piece of umami sushi in the gullet. Every, sometimes it takes a little bit more the to pass through the body, just like an alien probe. That <laughs> takes a lot that's, of effort. That's
0: the segue you went with. I, I give you all this about disrespecting authority
1: <laughs> and, like, questioning the system and- <laughs> I mean, in Destroy All Humans... But sometimes
0: you need some shit up your
1: ass. (laughs) I mean, Destroy All Humans 2, you are the system. At the the end of the the first game, you just became the president. So at the start of this game, you're already the president. And nothing that you do matters. (laughs) I mean, it kind of does. Anyway, this is Destroy All Humans 2 Reprobed. Uh, It's developed (laughs) by Black Forest Games, though it was originally developed by Pandemic Studios. I believe they have since collapsed. Uh... Black Forest Games I think, a German studio. I don't know. Double check. Uh, they've also made Fade to Silence, Gianna Sisters Twisted Dream, Arcania, and Hell Dorado. Uh, the publisher here is THQ Nordic, uh, which they are a whole thing. <laughs> we, we did some <laughs> research into this before the episode started. I, we found out some arcane bullshit about THQ that they closed in 2013, and then they basically just gave... Like, they sold all their properties off to a different company called, what was it, Nordic something? Nordic? Uh,
0: I don't know. The parent company of
1: Nordic. Yeah, it was the parent company of Nordic, and they renamed themselves to THQ Nordic after they acquired all their games, which is apparently not the first time that that has happened. Apparently, THQ also acquired some, like, Sega-based company, and so they, it just keeps happening. It just keeps ha- They keep passing the THQ banner in all their games, and it'll never stop. This one?
0: Embracer Group is the parent
1: company. Embracer, Embracer Group. Thank you.
0: Embracer. Yeah, they've
1: also published stuff like Trine, uh, Alone in the Dark, Darksiders, This is the Police, uh, all, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, this is twenty nine ninety nine on its own, and the gameplay of it uh, has you playing as this uh, weird little mean alien named Crypto, and the world is yours to destroy. It's your big old sandbox litter box for you to do whatever you want. Kind of like GTA a little bit, a little bit more chaos, a little bit more silliness. Big open world levels with lots of little collectibles and missions are what you can expect. Uh, there's some on-foot action. Uh, it's just like the first game, just like more of it. <laughs> you, you start with a lot of the stuff that you had uh, in the first game. You're like Zapper, your gun that makes everybody dance around you, and uh, of course the anal probe gun that makes people explode from their own butts uh there's the mind machine where you can like throw them on somebody's head and then make it explode and you can take their brains uh it also has like some disguise based gameplay where you can like take the body of any human and then walk around in their body for a while uh until the effect wears off and you start looking a little weird and there's also some saucer combat too uh it can be a little bit finicky at times i've noticed uh but it is fun where you can like unleash laser beams and abduct people and uh use telekinesis and stuff. Uh it's 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 a great game and honestly one of the, the best joys of it is just looking at every random person, picking them up with telekinesis and then launching them into the fucking sky like team rocket blasting off away. It's uh, that's that's probably my favorite part of the game just in general. It's just fun to be a little mean guy in this game. Uh so you are essentially a clone of the character from the first game, 10 years after the first game. Uh, the first game was set in the 1950s, which means that this game is set at the very tail end of the 60s, kind of right around the cusp of the 70s and the, really at the height of the flower power movement. Uh, so they trade 50s Cold War propaganda uh, satire for essentially hippie satire uh and i don't think that it is as strong as the first game because that first game its satire was like so on point with the whole vibe of like a 50s space paranoia uh red communist scare kind of thing uh and it's like just so so well done whereas in this game i mean they they got hippies that are working with the kgb to accomplish world domination and also peace at the same time and it's a little silly and a little goofy, and it doesn't take itself very seriously. And it's uh the the start of the game has you kind of uh helping this guy named Arkvoodle, who's this ancient elder alien god who you're trying to resurrect. Uh and in order to get people involved, you're essentially convincing all of the hippies to start following you in the cult of Arkvoodle. This would like a lot of the starting quests in the americas are about but it's a it's a globe trotting game you go all around the world in the game you go from america to uh britain to russia i think there's even a segment on the moon kind of later in the game i didn't get that far though uh he it's 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 a fun game uh for just kind of messing around and not really giving too much thought uh there are these quests that I mentioned about Arkvoodle. He's your dad and he, he you know, he gets really upset if you don't deliver him the milk when he wants it. You'll find random little <laughs> random little <laughs> quests around that are like add uh more like teleport points or landing points. Uh but usually you have to do some small little objective before you get them. It's always it's always Arkvoodle, always with that Arkvoodle guy. It's I, Like, the only main theme that really comes to mind to me when I play this game is just a constant beratement of how dumb humans are. It's like, that's always, like, the butt of the joke in this game. Which, to be fair, one of my favorite recurring <laughs> jokes of this game is because you're the president, uh, the government is always covering up everything that you do. So, if you, like, destroy 50 buildings and then throw hippie cars on top of the roofs, uh, then they will... Uh, run an article that says uh, hippies uh, caused massive ruckus, uh, got cars onto roofs more at eight, <laughs> and, you, <laughs> and, and you're always just covering up every giant piece of like awful thing that you do, uh, and it, it does kind of revolve around this story of you know the mothership was destroyed at the end of the last game so now you're trying to get all of the dna that you lost in the last game because that was your whole goal apparently furons came to Earth hundreds of years ago so ancient aliens all that and because of that they have like some ancient furon dna in their bodies and their brains so that's why you're there you're harvesting their brains in order to get as much dna as you can to bring that back to home worlds so you can create like a new alien race of cryptosporidiums uh but, I mean, it's just kind of dumb. Like, the writing is old. <laughs> it's not aged very gracefully. I the, the, the voice acting is good. I really love the voice acting. Uh, you, have, you have Johan Vasquez as one of the, uh, like, evil alien leaders. He's the guy who plays Invader Zim. Uh, so you basically have Invader Zim yelling at you for the entire game, which is really funny. Uh, and the main character is kind of like this gr- grunt, kind of... he He's sort of like a grunt, but he's very... Low voice, kind of badass sunglasses type. He's the type that really loves having sex with beautiful Amer- American or Russian, really just anybody with big tits. He loves. Uh, and it's weird. It's kind of weird how much the alien wants to have sex with humans. Because <laughs> considering he looks nothing like them. Uh, I mean. Is it weird considering how many humans want to have sex with aliens? I mean, I will say this game probably spawned like an entire generation of freaks. Definitely at least (laughs) me with the whole like, I mean, just being able to like inherit people's bodies and like walk around in them and then like popping their heads Mm. and throwing anal probes in them. Like that unlocked something in somebody for sure. Maybe me. (laughs) Because I remember playing this as a kid and being like fascinated by it. But nowadays, there's just so many (laughs) games that have come out that are just more fun to play that the, the, the novelty of just popping people's brains through their butt is like just not as funny to me anymore. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I also feel like there's this element that the aliens are supposed to in the first game, they didn't understand anything about human culture. So they saw like a cow and they were like, oh, this must be one of their uh, premier life forms. This, we, we have to communicate with it. So they try talking to the cow and like abducting it. And, uh, you know, it's like this whole humorous situation about them not understanding what humans are, what basic animals or anything is. But then in this game, they just make like culture references, like they'll just like pop culture references or just say something like, oh, man, my gynecologist this. And it's like, wait, what? What? How would you even know what a gynecologist is? You know, Uh, (laughs) it doesn't really make sense. And I kind of took me out of it a little bit. Uh and also because th- this is a remastered version the original game came out on like PS2 a long time ago this version does not run very well uh it's not very well optimized and from the reviews it seems like I'm not the only one that has had issues with this running very well uh, I think it's a little bit CPU taxing uh when I don't really understand why why it is uh it, it plays okay on Steam Deck at like around 30 frames a second I played it a little bit on there uh, and for me that was a little bit more enjoyable but I don't know I I I couldn't stream it while playing it just cuz it was too CPU intensive uh which was really unfortunate but it, it's just a dated kind of game too you know like I feel like the last game that I played that was like this was the like recent Saints Row reboot it's like giant open world where you can just kind of cause chaos and do whatever you want and it's just not that much fun like cuz the cuz do what do whatever you want usually just translates to shooting a bunch of dudes and That's, like, all your verbs. It's like, that's it. Those are your verbs. You can do whatever you want, but whatever you want is gone. Yeah. (laughs) So I I feel like it's a little bit shallow in comparison to a lot of uh, open world games that have come out since then. Uh, I really liked this game growing up. So it makes me sad to kind of not enjoy it as much now. But I feel like even then, it sort of felt like the, the f- whole flower power theming and like the 60s theming just, was just never as poignant or fun as the 50s theming. Because it, it just felt like it was way more set in a particular time in a particular place and parodying a very specific moment in culture that now to move it 10 years into the future and to just try to do it again a different time period. Like it's okay, but it just feels shallow. So I think I prefer the first game more. Uh I don't think this this was a complete labor. I think I savored the parts of it that I did enjoy, but I don't think I'm gonna go back to it right away. There's just so many other games that are more interesting to me right now, and it takes up a decent amount of hard drive, space so like 40 gigabytes. Uh so It's a lot for an old game, honestly. So I thought I would enjoy it more. I'm a little sad about it. Uh there there's just there just wasn't wasn't quite enough of a light to keep me going. Our
0: next game is There Is No Light by Zellart. It was published by Hype Train Digital, who also did Die in the Dungeon, Novalands, Void Train, Touche, Wild Eight, and a whole bunch of other games. It costs $19.99, and it's a delightful little uh, third-person isometric, like hack-and-slash kind of game. I say delightful. I just use that word as a filler. Um, I didn't find this game very delightful at all, actually. So, <laughs> Look at you saying things that you regret. Oh, no. My filler words. Why is delightful one of them? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a delightful filler word.
0: I found, (laughs) overall, the gameplay on this was real lacking. Uh, There's, uh, you know, it's push a button to attack, get your, you know, if you attack enough, you charge up your buttons to, like, do a big big attack. Your regular attack interrupts enemies' attacks, uh, if they have, like, a little red icon over their head, and then when you charge up and you, you know, you've hit enough things, you get a big attack, which can interrupt enemies' special attacks, which are yellow. Um, So pretty much everything can be constantly interrupted. So it's a lot of like, enemies are attacking me. Let me just spam attack to kill them. Uh, It's not a difficult or challenging game. There's a mechanic where apparently eventually deep enough into the game, you start to get new weapons and you can unlock abilities in the weapon trees and stuff that like give you things that like when you dash attack, it deals extra damage or interrupting an enemy's, uh, you know, uninterruptible attack gives you uh, extra health and things like that. Uh, but by and large, I did not get far enough to even unlock a second weapon because I did not find this game super engaging. Because uh, really, it's just like a lot of button mashing because all, all of your attacks interrupt your enemies and the the attacks that couldn't be interrupted, the like, you had a dodge, which was super generous, and you could just dodge out of any attack you couldn't interrupt. Or you charged up your attack quick enough that you could interrupt most of the big attacks anyways. So, it it wasn't great. I really wanted to try to get to at least like a like one of the bosses to see what it was like, but I couldn't. I couldn't. I was so bored. Um the story, I don't really have a clue what was going on here. I played for like 2 hours. Uh it starts with like your wife and kid getting kidnapped by the church to be sacrificed. Uh, You know, in, you, you, you grind your way over to the church and you try to interrupt it and then you get like kind of murdered, but not really. And then this weird little demon dude starts helping you be evil to go kill the church. Um, That's about all I got, because beyond that, it's all just digested and given to you through like lore and notes and reading. And I don't have the patience for a book. <laughs> I, need, I need more tangible delivery of content.
1: <laughs> you needed to keep them fingers busy.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it just like, it was like, it wasn't very, it wasn't delivered very accessibly either. Like the dialogue boxes were all very small, just like over the character's head. Uh, it just all in all was like, Oh, I'm like squinting to read and I can't really play it like lounging because it's too far away on the screen and I can't read things accurately. And, like every single thing it was like oh cool here's a note let me read that oh it's six pages long and it's all just like tiny dialogue giving me a little bit of background about this character i don't know like it was all very like immersive world building stuff but it just wasn't delivered in a way that was engaging enough that it was like i want to read this it was more like ah fuck i clicked on this inner 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 now (laughs) i can play the game again (laughs) so Yeah, (laughs) I found myself mostly just grinding through the dialogue to try to experience the game, and then experiencing the game was like, this isn't a fun experience, uh... Most of the themes that I got were just like, you know, the standard religion sucks, you know, this religious organization is pretending to be able to talk to God that's saying society needs to be kept underground because the outside world is too dangerous for us to live in and bring us your children to sacrifice and we're going to do crusades and make sure that everyone knows that this is what God wants and... So it's very much those like themes of like religion and the way religion lies to us and blindly following the organization and you know, what all that jazz, but that's all like the surface level shit that I pulled from skimming the dialogue that I didn't really want to read. So it's probably a lot more engaging than I'm making it sound. Uh, Honestly, like the world building and narrative seems like it's probably very, very good. If you have the patience to sit through it and push buttons and read uh, but I didn't have the patience for that. Uh, so me, uh, the, the pacing was very slow. You know, you it's, you visit you visit the same area three times in the first like hour of this gameplay, and it's not meaningfully like oh I had to cross through this area to get somewhere else. It's literally like go to the church and try to save your kid. Go to the church and try to kill the ba- bad guy. <laughs> go to the church to try to get to the other areas now. Finally, so it's like it's just like the pacing is bad it's slow it's repetitive uh, it's uh like it i just found it generally lacking in accessibility and the way they make the narrative and everything delivered to you so it was absolutely a labor for me uh i really wanted to try to enjoy playing this game but i could not um it's probably a good game for someone out there who likes you know like the ideas in world building of a game like dark souls uh but you know doesn't like the difficulty or wants something that's a little more like casual or chill that's like we're building an immersive you know world building experience that you can go through and you know chat to the citizens and find out what they're thinking and read the notes and learn about the history and the world and the war and why these people in this world is like this but it's not for me it, it was kind of uh uh it was it was really just like a a uh
1: a fleshy maw of despair <laughs> well our next game is definitely uh very similar to that in that it is very fleshy very much like a maw and it's something called Scorn. it's developed by ebb software they, this is their debut game, I believe, and it is published by Kepler Interactive, uh, who came out with Pacific Drive very recently, uh, Ultros, Apocalypse Party, Sifu, and of course, Cat Quest and Cat Quest 2! Fuck yeah! Uh, this game is $39.99, uh, which is actually quite a lot for a game that only lasts about six or eight hours. Uh, it's sort of like if Mist was directed by H.R. Giger, which I know that there is a game like for DOS that H.R. Giger did actually do art for. I think it's called like Dark Seed or something like that. But this is this is like fully three D a world built in this completely deteriorated, almost kind of post apocalyptic Earth where humans and machines have completely melded together into a terrifying amalgamation and uh, gameplay involves uh, long periods of exploration with some light puzzle solving occasionally some mostly optional combat uh with I'd say around three or four major big puzzles uh that take quite a bit of thought before you can progress uh just it, when you get to it if you, you get to the light puzzle fuck that puzzle <laughs> that puzzle sucks like all the others i could see i could see good reasons for there's like one early on that's like this it's basically like a moving block puzzle where you have to move these pods on a wall uh it's like a birthing wall and then you have to get one of these pods uh over to a specific spot so that it can be grabbed from the wall and yanked and then brought down uh so that you can then bring that guy over to like a little flesh thing to either scoop him up and then take his arm or you can scoop him out of his little pod and then he follows you around and then you can use him to open up a door. Uh, you know, there's, that's the kind of puzzle that you get in this game. It's like you just kind of enter an environment, you see something weird and then you just start messing around with it until you finally get it to work. Uh, with that first puzzle, it doesn't really tell you, but you have to put a vertical piece in there because it's the only piece that's like connected to another piece that you can slide over to there. But there's nothing in the game telling you that that's the piece that you need. You're just messing around, and then you realize, like, well, I can't get any of the horizontal pieces in there. The square piece is too big to fit through all these pieces. But if I move everything to the far right, and then I get this vertical piece over there, then I can get it over there, and it could try yanking it out. And so you do that, and it eventually does work. Uh, But it feels very directionless at times. At Mm -hmm. times, it can feel like, I don't know if I am lacking information on how to progress or if like I have all the information that I need and I'm just dumb. Uh, or if there is even, like, some key item that I don't have that I need. Uh, There's an example that I got uh, where you get this thing that you can, like, squeeze little red blood pods into your arm to regain health, but it didn't tell me that that's what it does. And so many things in this game I had grabbed were just key items that I used to open a door or something. So when I was filling them up at these, like, stations at the wall, I didn't realize that, like, I could then use it to heal myself. I thought that I was supposed to just fill it up and then use it as a puzzle somewhere. And, it, mm. and just there's so many things in that game that it doesn't explain itself very well, where, you know, if, I, if it had even just had a single contextual UI prompt, press E, the moment that I got that thing, I would have done that and then realized, oh, this thing gets my health back. You know, it doesn't have to tell me what it does. Just to know that it exists. I didn't even know that I could press E on the keyboard to make this thing happen. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of little things like that that are just kind of frustrating where you kind of feel like a chicken with its head cut off wandering around these derelict facilities where the halls, the further you go, almost start to feel like organs in a giant biomass.
0: That's so interesting because like from a gameplay perspective, it is it is like players are conditioned in a certain way to interact with environments and interact with the gameplay and interact with the experience that like making a choice to not give that to the player if, if
1: it I, makes you feel it feels more like, like helpless which adds to the yeah. atmosphere of it uh but it also is frustrating so it's like yeah a, exactly like <laughs> like a, and how do you make
0: that not a frustrating experience when it is sort of like a crucial and intended part of the experience
1: and like on the store page they kind of have this hint of like nothing in this universe wants to kill you Mm -hmm. Uh, And if you realize that going in, which I didn't, you can avoid most combat encounters. Because most things, if you just watch them for a couple of minutes, will just sort of walk by and then descend into some vent or something. And they'll just, you can just avoid most every single enemy. And I didn't realize that because the game gives you a fucking gun with unlimited ammo and tells you (laughs) you go nuts.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Again, that's such like an interesting like the more you talk about this, the more I'm interested on it like from a game design standpoint of like subverting the players expectations of how they've been conditioned to play a game Mm -hmm. versus like what you present them with and how you sort of fuck with that and punish them for playing based on their expectations instead of like playing responding directly to the game
1: mm-hmm and like because you don't really know what you're doing you're just are kind of doing the only thing that it seems like you can do in that moment uh, like there's this part of the game where you find this like giant hive mother like the furthest deepest part of the game uh and in order to progress the story you have to like open up these pathways that every time you do it opens up like a massive hole in the hive mother's like side uh And it's like you're tearing it apart. We love a massive hole in the Hive Mother's (laughs) side. (laughs) Well, there's already things like fucking... Like, all these little creatures that you find throughout the level are, like, parasites that are coming out of her back. Uh, Damn. And it's like... like The art in this game is just so metal and intense and vivid. And it just feels like a world that is cruel and unflinching and like when you are born into this world at the very beginning of of the game you fall from a pod on the wall and you collapse onto the ground unconscious and then when you wake up you look around and you see like all these other pods and then some are really high up on the wall and all these corpses on the ground and it's like just the idea of this Like world that is so cruel and unusual that you could just be born into it in the wrong place and just die from being birthed on this wall. And like the art book goes into more detail where if you look at the wall, it looks artificial but then there are parts of the wall that have broken away to reveal flesh behind the wall. The entire wall is living. It's an organism. It's almost as if the entire world is created from human body parts used as a building construction material. Like it, it, like like the, 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 this whole sort of facility is almost like a giant flesh producing thing. And you find like these statues that are like reverent of like pregnancy and like sex, like later on that they're, they're like the, almost these like high, like religious statues. And it almost is like this world is a world that is so far into the future that the very idea of a natural conception is something that is a religion into itself. Like they can't imagine it. Uh, and so the only way that people are born into this world is through this horrible, cruel, uh, like method of being birthed from a pod. And, you know, maybe there's this idea that like a lot of them are are just like power sources, kind of like the matrix where like they're just being used to power the machines themselves Uh, there's this one boss that happens in the game that's a really frustrating boss, but it's very cool lore-wise, especially when you read the art book to learn more about them. Uh, There's these little tiny guys that are like batteries. Uh, They're like basically human babies that have been like modified and then put into a tube uh, and they can be inserted into things to give them power. Uh, And when you do this, they like assert power over the machine and they take it over and they have clear enough intelligence to like be able to control the machine and attack you with it. And in the art book, it even shows them, like, tinkering with these things outside of their little pods. Like, they're actually, like, little guys that can fucking have, like, a little workshop. And, like, they've kind of worked around their limitations, even though they're, like, used as little batteries, essentially. Like, just the world of this game is so vivid and imaginative and cool. And the gameplay just is so frustrating at times. (laughs) If you treat it more like a puzzle game, you'll have an easier time. If you treat it like an action game, like I think a lot of people did looking at the trailers, a lot of people kind of went in expecting Quake, but this is not Quake. Uh, It is very slow, and honestly, the guns that you get, like, some of them are kind of nice. Like, they can take guys out, but you have such limited ammo, it's like you really shouldn't be using it that much in the first place. Yeah, I think I'm going to briefly dip into spoilers of the very end here. Uh, so basically at the very end of the game, uh, well, there, there's two parts of the game, I should say at the very beginning, you start out, uh, as this guy who wanders in this area and you do the whole pod shuffling mini game, and then you get melted into like a corrosive acid on the floor after turning on this machine and it ends just there. And it feels a little unsatisfying, but it, I cannot stop thinking about this game. Like I can't, ever since I got to that ending, I literally can't stop thinking about it. It's just something about the world. It's so evocative and like the the themes and the, the way that it's told just through pure interpretation of the art uh, rather than through any words or, or story. It's just so cool.
0: I really want to play this game. I... You should.
1: <laughs> you should. I think that you would really I... dig it. it...
0: In your discussion of it, I've already d- started downloading it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah! Uh, I would say if I had some nis- n- nitpicks, I mostly mentioned them. Uh, some of the puzzles though just don't really feel like thematically very interesting, uh, even though they can be like kind of fun. Some of them are just bullshit and not interesting. The light puzzle comes to mind. I fucking hate that. I don't get it. I don't know why. That just take it out of the game, please. Uh, <laughs> but. And there's also that boss fight that happens where, like, you you, you essentially bring one of these battery guys and you throw him into one of these pods and it turns on this guy who, like, then shoots missile launchers and shit at you and you have to, like, wander, like, kind of kite him around these things and make him shoot his things and pops up this little bulgy bit and gotta hit it a bunch of times. It's like a fucking Zelda boss and you have to keep waiting for him to show his weakness. It was not very fun. I felt like... That part of the game was way more interesting in the art book than it was ever in gameplay. Uh, and it has like a 200-page art book. So for the record, like, there's a lot of extra supplemental material that did not make it into this game. It seems like they were working on it for a very long time and just had to release what they had. And I understand that. And I, I, that's part of the reason why I'm kind of more accepting of its shortcomings. Because uh, what it is is still really cool, even though they couldn't fit all of the little story bits that they wanted to in there. I'd say overall it was a saver for me. I did really enjoy it. Uh Just keep in mind that this has way more identity with, like, a, a missed type of puzzle game than it ever does with any kind of action game. Because most of the action can be avoided, uh, with the exception of, like, a boss fight in the game and then uh another segment where you have to, like, run away from a bunch of dudes. But even then, you can just run past them. You don't have to fight anything in the game. Uh so yeah i i think just thematically and for the fact that i can't get this fucking game out of my head it's like a parasite that's now latched itself into my brain uh i i I think that it's something that other people should try uh it's worth checking out but just keep in mind gameplay isn't always going to be everybody's favorite i didn't really give you anything to segue here i wasn't really thinking about it uh cards uh cards you know what gameplay is everyone's favorite always cards yeah, cards
0: cards are <laughs> in our next game oaken <laughs> it's a definitive statement that no one can disagree with cards are the best mechanic everyone likes cards
1: <laughs> you can't go wrong with cards
0: and this is a game made by lackey studios and it's their only games their debut game published by goblins publishing uh, and I wrote here that their games are Racing, Shogun Showdown, Snowtopia. Oh wait, I can let backs do this in the next game, and then I stopped listing things. Uh, <laughs> uh, this game's a... Del- I almost did it again. I almost did it again. Do almost it. immediately called it delightful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you fucking delightful bastard!
0: I can't. I can't <laughs> criticize things. Oh no, <laughs> it's all delightful now. It's all delightful. It is. Even if it's bad, it's delightful. It's still
1: delightful. (laughs) It's a somebody, Uh, probably.
0: (laughs) Yeah, honestly, that's the thing. Uh, It's a top-down, hex-based, roguelike strategy game. So you're on a little grid of hexes. You can move your characters around. You can use your cards to deploy new characters and get positioning on enemies. Uh, it's it's got some really interesting mechanics. Uh, you have to like build and modify your deck of cards as you get them. You can upgrade cards with abilities. So like you can give your creatures what is essentially, I'm going to use magic terms here. Uh, so uh, just know that these are not the terms they use in game, uh, but you can get things like haste that let your creatures attack immediately when you summon them. Uh, you can get things like double strike that let your characters attack two or three times in a turn. Um, you can get things that like modify their movement or give them ranged attack instead of close ranged attacks uh, you can get like buffs to your abilities that you know make these tiles deal damage and heal or you know little things like that Um, so there's a lot of like little strategic choices you make and how you upgrade your abilities and your creatures and what you spend your like points on as you earn them throughout your playthrough Uh, it's it's interesting it's it's largely positional based but it lacked a lot of challenge so like A lot of times you could just throw guys down wherever and odds are by the end of the level, you would have killed everything. Uh, There's not a lot of most of your guys get one shot, especially in the early like run, like the start of the run. Uh, But as you upgrade them, it gets a little easier. Uh, The position like there's so anytime you attack an enemy, they deal their damage back unless you're flanking them. So if you get around them and deal damage from behind, then you can attack without taking damage. Uh, a lot of times if you hit something with one of your creatures, it's also going to kill you. So there's a lot of just like throwing your enemies, your your summons out there as fodder, uh, which is like just part of the game. Getting position on things is very difficult because like the way it works is when you summon something, it doesn't get to move that turn and it doesn't get to attack. So you get to summon it, and then the enemies get to move, which they'll set themselves up for favorable positions, and then on your turn, you only get to move one hex. So unless the enemy deliberately positioned itself in some way that it's, like, facing one person but not the other, it's, like, it's really hard to make the position work in your favor because the enemy always gets to act before, and the maps are mostly small enough that, like, you don't really get to set up a positional advantage very well unless you're summoning like three or four things a turn but you don't get to summon three or four things a turn until you've it's got like the hearthstone mana mechanics so you have to like wait a turn now you have three wait a turn now you have four uh so you know either you're like waiting out to be able to like summon three or four things towards like the fifth or sixth turn or you're trying to throw things down quickly and just like move on which i found myself doing the first a lot because all of the little missions have challenges too. So, like, there's an optional you can clear this level in seven turns, and you'll get bonus points. Or like, clear this level without anyone taking damage. Or uh, clear this level without attacking one of these enemies. Things like that. So those wildly swinged the difficulty. It went from like this is completely achievable to like this is not an, a a possible challenge to do on this realistically. Uh, and some of them were just like blindly based on luck or based on like how you set things up. So it, it, I found that part really frustrating because it was like, oh, bonus objectives. I love trying to do those and I would go for them. And then it was just like, oh, I'm being punished because I'm not good at this game, even though it's not really that I'm not good at this game. It's just that like RNG is not favorable. Uh, so I found that very frustrating to have these, like, bonus objectives to try to go to, and I got really focused on, like, I have to clear this doing the bonus objectives, uh, which was completely arbitrary, (laughs) and you don't really need to do, to be honest. Most of the game you can just fly through pretty easily, uh... Go back and get those if you really like the games. You want to get all 100 percent It's
1: like you can just get Well, it's games it's not want. even
0: for hundred percent. It's a roguelike. So it's literally oh, well. just like that playthrough. Yeah, exactly. It's completely yeah, arbitrary. Mind, it's completely <laughs> arbitrary. <laughs> Which was why I was like so frustrated that like I wanted to do it so bad that I was like, I have to clear it like this. And then I was like, why the fuck does it matter? It doesn't. <laughs> I can beat this game without doing that. It's easy enough to beat it without the additional rewards from the challenge. But I was so hung up on trying to beat the challenges that it took away from a lot of my enjoyment of the game sometimes. There's a lot here that follows traditional roguelikes and the, that experience that, like, you know, you, you get at every run, you unlock, like, points that you can invest into your character that, you know, increases the ability, like, your abilities or gives you better stuff in your starting deck that makes it easier to ru- make it through the run long-term. So as you're do- doing it, you're progressing and, and doing that whole roguelike loop of I'm getting stronger and now I can get further and I'm getting stronger and now I can get further. Uh, they had a really clever mechanic in the game that is, like you get one free death every run uh so like if you go into and when you do a mission it's not like the mission start is not randomized so you know what you're getting into so it's like you can try it and you fail and then you get a second attempt without having to restart the whole run so it was a really great like kind of casual approach to the mechanics which i felt was nice and given like the vibe and the theming and and the game and everything i thought that was very a very good approach it felt a little more casual than a lot of roguelikes usually like make their systems which felt nice for this game that was kind of like a very uh i didn't get very far into the story but it was it was very much like a kind of traditional you know climate disaster the forest is under attack by some outside entity that's corrupting things you have to save it uh you know you're working with the spirits and the guides in the past of the past forest that are helping you and they're like they're the things that are like joining your deck um it's very it's very good in that regard uh and and i i felt like the gameplay in a lot of sense was like simple and easy enough to understand and parse that it it really fit with the story and the sort of like theming that was going on uh so i enjoyed that my 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 only nitpick is the fucking challenges. The fuck, I just I just wish they weren't there. <laughs> like they're it's, not it's needed for the game to be achievable. But it <laughs> yeah. just like my dumb little monkey brain is like everything can be completed. I can do this challenge, and it's like I got four thirds of the way through fighting a boss without anything dropping on my character. And then it's like fucking, Oh, they cast it on this, the center. And now I can't literally cannot move out of range of it. So oops, <laughs> got to restart <laughs> this five minute boss fight. Um, so they they just fucking ignore the challenges, ignore the goddamn challenges. They, they're not needed. You're not, you don't need them to progress. They don't, uh, the difficulty is not so hard that you need those extra fucking 12 resources from the challenge. Uh, This one was a saver for me for sure. I enjoyed the experience. The mechanics I felt were like kind of a unique take on the like card building, you know, deck building style game. Uh, The like abilities that your character had and also making the cards like positional units that you could like move around and stuff was really cool. Uh, It felt like, you know it almost felt close to like a toys to life experience almost if like i had little physical cards that i could like summon the guys it would have been so cool i would have fucked with that so hard <laughs> do you ever
1: play i have judgment on the playstation this is a random tangent no. but uh is that the one that used the camera yeah you had to like place the cards yeah! on the camera and then the yeah, camera yeah, yeah, read yeah. it and then it came to life i actually played the shit out of that when i was younger My friend that though. was so
0: good yeah uh god i i I really want a good toys to Life card game so bad so bad it would destroy my finances (laughs) 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 um but i i think i what i played of this was fun i i wish i had spent more time on it for this bundle so then i could have like talked to a point about it more meaningfully because i feel like i'm just kind of like glancing especially with roguelike's A lot of them are those games that you really have to invest a bunch of time in to really get to like meaningful like mechanics and see how they develop out more and see how the plays and runs are different and see how the narrative builds on itself as you go through. Um, But I think it's great. I think it's great for folks that like that sort of lighter card game experience out of a roguelike package. You know, it's not as difficult to slay the Spire. And if you want a game that like kind of captures that like i'm playing with a deck of cards and i'm building a deck and changing things as i go it's it's a really good light experience that i I enjoyed and i'm definitely going to put on my play more list
1: i was going to say out of uh, there's a lot of competition for roguelike especially in particular card-based roguelike there's a (laughs) lot of those nowadays Uh, yeah is this one going to sneak into your 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 rotation here are you going to play this one regularly do you think uh, you know,
0: thankfully, I've got that dumb little ADHD brain where I burn myself out of something then forgets it exists, so, like, I don't play Slay the Spire much anymore, I don't play Monster Train anymore, you know, I'm kind of, like, a flavor-of-the-month person. Okay. Uh, I do think this is one that I will revisit, probably not as regularly as I'd revisit those games, because, like, I crave the challenge and, like, the way that those games, like, present it in a more difficult manner like i i really like the difficulty of it and that like strategic deck building aspect which this game doesn't really have um it's more like a, a strategic managing your deck and choices and not like building actively and like you're, you're not going to get a wildly different deck each run in this game at all it's going to be very similar it's gonna be like two or three different units are different and then the strategy of how you deploy them is what's mainly changing um so i I think in that regard, I think it does something different enough that it's interesting and worth playing. um, I don't think it provides that same challenge that I'm looking for in a game like this, so it wouldn't be like a big long stay, but it's 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 good enough that I want to revisit it and I want to like see a couple runs through to the end at least
1: Hell, yeah, that sounds dope uh speaking of runs. Uh, there's plenty of runs in this next game, uh, but they're not quite uh, in the same vein. This game is called Snowtopia. It's a game about managing your own ski resort and making a bunch of different ski runs for people. Uh, mm, yeah. This is uh, developed by t for Two. It's their debut game, uh, and it is published by a Fellow Traveler and Maple Whispering Limited. Uh who of course of course also did Oaken, which you just heard about, uh, as well as uh, as far as the eye, one step remeden and calico, among many others. Uh this game is honestly more expensive David, than I would David, have thought. We
0: just talked about this. We just talked about this.
1: Yeah, I know. I just said it anyway. Goblins,
0: Goblins Publishing.
1: <laughs> this oh, was, was all a lie, publishing! remember? <laughs> I actually, I literally was going to change it to Goblins Publishing, and then I forgot to change it. I was like, There's, I think I got everything. Yeah, I, I could put the, all the games in there. Yeah, I'm good to go. No, it's Goblins Publishing, not Fellow Travelers. Sorry. Uh, yeah, we'll fix that in post, right? <laughs>
0: I don't know. Maybe I'll leave it in just for the lols. <laughs> Damn you. Damn the lols! <laughs> I have the power now. You don't get to decide what I think is funny.
1: <laughs> so, uh Snowtopia is a sim management game uh, I would say it feels very much in the vein of like a roller coaster tycoon minus the capitalism interestingly uh there is no money to worry about in this game at all, and everybody who works for your little compound is a volunteer. <laughs> it's just a little haven of people who enjoy skiing and they're just working to make that happen for everyone uh so you basically have this little resort that you're managing. You build all the different slopes and all the lifts to get to the different slopes. Uh, You build snow groomers, mechanics, and snow patrols to help uh, manage all of the different slopes, make sure that the lifts are running well and that if anybody falls, breaks an arm or something, that somebody's going to be there to go and help them out. Uh, There's uh, decorations that you can throw around. They're all free, so you can just kind of spend as much time as you want, making all the hills look super pretty and uh, all decorated with a bunch of different uh, items that people can use. I, at least I think that they can use. I feel like I made a bunch of different like hearth areas with like seats and stuff, but I don't think I see the guys actually sitting in them that much. It increases the the attractiveness of the location, and there's a button that you can click to see like the overall attractiveness of different areas of your park. Uh, and that so far as I can tell is like the only real value of them. <laughs> so at a certain point, I just started like, Filling the place with a bunch of random shit Like, alright, this is now the uh, Bird slope, there's going to be Nothing but bird boxes here, and they're everywhere Enjoy <laughs> uh, Yeah, I mean uh, it, It's it's a cute little game uh, the, I'd say that Nitpicky uh, It's like, really hard to place slopes uh, and make them correct because uh, it pays attention to the grade of your slope like how steep it is uh and if it's really steep or if there's a lot of curves uh then it increases the difficulty of those and makes it more likely that people will bail and get hurt uh but it's also like genuinely so hard to not make it like a red or a black diamond like while just going down a slope normally like you have to weirdly like kind of stick it around like how I normally end up having a lot of like my blue and my green slopes go, uh, is I will follow the incline of the slope horizontally, uh, so that I don't go too far down too quickly. But then that makes it so that when I look at it, like in person, it's like a very, Like, the slope itself is very diagonal, and everybody's skiing at, like, an angle, and it just looks weird, and it would just make more sense to go down, and I don't know, it it just—it's very difficult to make the kind of paths that I want to— with the game thinking that they are what they are supposed to be. And sometimes the game will tell me this is like, oh, a green slope. That means it should be pretty easy. But then I go and investigate all my different routes. And actually, that for some reason is considered to be like a black or a red slope, even though the the, 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 the size of it is very small, just because it's a very small connecting piece at the very end of the route uh, that, like, I guess it's just hard for people to navigate. Uh, so the perceived difficulty is really high and a bunch of people kept on dying there and bailing out. Uh, but. Dying? Dying. I say dying. I mean, there was something really funny that I noticed. Where, <laughs> like a pile if, of corpses
0: at the end of this
1: I mean, if you delete the end of a slope, they won't be able to get past the point where you deleted the, the slope. <laughs> So what I discovered is that you can just have a bunch of them, like, pile up if you wanted to. You can create, like, a massive pile up of dudes that can't get past the end of the
0: slope. <laughs> it feels like that content creator that, like, tortures the
1: the animals in Zoo Tycoon and shit. <laughs> Let's game it out. Hey, welcome back. It's Josh from Let's Game yeah. It Out. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> I basically did become that guy for a moment, and then I, I had a moment of clarity and then went back to building a normal <laughs> resort. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, you do get like a research building that you can use to upgrade everything and make things run faster or get new options for buildings and stuff. But honestly, it takes a while to get to that point. And by the time that I get to that point, I've usually set up like all my maintenance and all my slopes. And I kind of feel like I'm done. Like I could just sit there and decorate it all and add a bunch of different restaurants and things. But if I just hit fast forward and sit here, my eye will slowly gain reputation, and because there's no worry about money, I never have to worry about failing. So there's no reason not to play at like max speed the entire time, uh, and just like let people like go really quickly. Uh, so in that did way, did you feel it's like, like
0: that hindered your experience?
1: I, I feel like it kind of did a little, just because it was like I mean, it was kind of nice that I could just like set it to fast and just like ignore whatever and just keep building whatever I wanted. But it's also but your like dumb
0: little monkey brain has been so trained for numbers. <laughs>
1: But yeah, like I've been so trained to be more careful about expansion, like in Tropico, like I try to really be careful about how quickly I expand in Tropico because if you expand too quickly, then you won't have the money to pay for the infrastructure and then you go into debt and then you lose. But there's no lose state in this. Uh, you just have a compound that like, it doesn't even really matter that people are all getting injured and dying on my fucking courses mm-hmm. and shit because I'm, they're still coming back and there's still like, there's no money that I have to worry about. It's just about whether or not I like it. And I think it's cool, even though everybody's dying like <laughs> it's it's such an
0: interesting way to experience a game <laughs> it's it's very
1: strange it's got mixed reviews on steam which i know that we haven't really done a whole lot of the reviews i think we said we were but then we forgot to do it this time oh
0: yeah we didn't we didn't have that uh, in our outline that's right yeah Shit. but th- this one
1: the... this one is yeah we'll, we'll add that to the to the base copy so we don't forget it next time but uh this game is mixed and i think a lot of people were expecting uh, it to be better it feels very undercooked uh it feels like uh, because it was early access for quite a while. And then I guess it just recently released in full, but it didn't really feel like they made too many changes to make it a full release. It's just like a tutorial mode and then a couple of different starting mountains and like, that's it. There's no like story mode or like a lot of incentives to keep playing beyond after you've created your, uh, you know, starting slope and you have perfected all your different routes and stuff and you have groomers to make sure it's all running right. Uh, I don't know. And also, like, you'd only get more volunteers the longer that your place has been built, so you might as well just keep it at full speed the entire time, so you just get more and more volunteers until you hit the max. Mm-hmm. Uh, who needs salaried workers when people are willing to run everything for free, huh? <laughs> snow is fun. I-, I-, I honestly think that this game is a-, is a cool idea, executed kind of poorly. It has potential, but I-, I don't think that this is the snow resort simulator of my dreams. It's not my Snowtopia. I think I looked into other games that are similar to it. There are apparently other more realistic simulators that actually look a little more interesting to me uh, now that I've played this. Because this almost feels like too simple while also being too restrictive to where I can't build what I want and what I can build is just kind of boring. Uh, I want to really be able to build something cool and interesting and fun. And it's making me interested to get into a, a different... <laughs> ski snow resort simulator rather than this one so more of a labor for me on this one uh, I don't think I'm ready to lose hundreds of hours into this one like I normally would be with these kind of sim titles that I really like it's just too finicky for me to actually you know make what I really want and uh, it's, it's just not my not, not my true love it's not I'm not feeling the vibes with this one
0: you know I found my true love in the next game life is strange true colors
1: Mm, tell me a bit more. Honestly, <laughs> I was
0: swooning. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is Life is Strange. It's uh it's a game made by Deck Nine, uh who also did The Expanse, Life is Strange Remastered, Life is Strange Before the Storm, the the Life is Strange stuff, uh a lot of Life is Strange, and it was published by Square Enix and I think we all know what Square Enix is famous for, uh Flora's Fruit Farm. Uh, amongst some other little games they've done, which I won't bear repeating because I think most people know Square Enix. Um, it, I, I don't know our audience, I guess. Maybe, maybe we got some first-time listeners who have never played a video game before. And I don't want to be that asshole who's like, you guys are too smart for this. And then people are just like left in the dark.
1: <laughs> Square Enix has made um, Final Fantasy and um, uh, Dragon Quest. And uh, was that right, actually? Didn't they make Dragon Quest? I feel like I'm actually making...
0: (laughs) No, they did. They did. Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest. uh, They did fucking... Hitman? Did they do Hitman?
1: I don't know. Did they do
0: Hitman? I think maybe. Apparently, we don't even know what fucking Square Enix has done. Actually, maybe we should check i don't know <laughs> uh, square enix
1: they did kingdom hearts i oh, know that they are one the, they are the publisher it's io interactive that does the developing for hitman okay but yeah that's what published i thought. by okay. Square. cool
0: i know my shit apparently <laughs>
1: look at you look at you uh visions of
0: mana uh mana whatever you want to fucking call it i don't know they're see, rpg M-A-N-A.
1: city Ar- the, if you if yeah. you want to know what they do they yeah. do r- lots of rpgs they and do. some other things sometimes
0: they they they're they're pretty pretty known company. Uh you can probably po- pull a fucking game off a shelf and it'll say Square Enix on it. <laughs> Chances are. Uh it costs 59.99 outside the bundle, which I was kind of shocked to see. Like I know life is strange is a big franchise, but something in my mind was telling me that this was like a like a small offshoot like, you know, not a full-scale game that they did. And after playing it, I kind of felt that way. It was like kind of short. It wasn't very like it wasn't that dense of a game, and like, I played it through in like two sittings. It's you know eight hours, probably five chapters. So it, like it didn't. I don't know if I pay fifty nine ninety nine for this. I'm really glad I got it in a bundle. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, you could also play it on Game Pass. I believe it was also available on Game Pass.
0: Oh yeah, that's true. Uh, this is it's a standard like choose your own you know adventure telltale style walking simulator type game right you know you wander around the city you make choices you talk to people you have di- like it's it's heavily dialogue based you're you're talking to characters and responding to things there's there, there's not a lot of like puzzle or action or you know it it is literally like make choices that is that is the gameplay of these kinds of games and of this game there's occasionally a quick time event where it's like respond to something in this you know limited three second window uh, but that's it and even this game didn't have a lot of those surprisingly it was very forgiving on that and had a lot of really great accessibility options too that like you could disable the the quick time events entirely so you could take as long as you need to to make a choice uh you know there was there was like subtitle stuff and like it, A lot lot of good accessibility options that I really enjoyed seeing. Um, There was one really cool, very interesting gameplay moment in this game that I was like, that fucking was clever. Um, Where they took, right, they took the basic mechanic of make choice, right? A dialogue option to make choice. And then... uh, So your character... A little bit of story here to to set this up. I'm trying not... First of all, I'm not going to go into spoilers really hard because ha- Bax wants to play this game at some point and I don't want to spoil it because it's a good game and I think if you want to play it, you should go in, you know, like, and experience the story because that's what this game is. Like, if I if you spoil a story, it's like, you, yeah. you, you spoil the game. <laughs> that's how I felt about Beacon Fines. It's like, just play it. I yeah. can't tell you. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's... it's uh so your character though is like an empath basically. You have super empath powers and you you can see and feel how <laughs> the people around you are feeling. Uh mm. to the point where like you can take on that feeling and experience the world around them through, you know, how they're feeling. Uh and th- there's this this moment and this this is like I, not really a spoiler uh but um later on there's a larping section where one of the main characters the kid uh is, is they they set up this larping thing for them and you the section starts with this very clever use of the simple gameplay mechanics. I I have to talk about this cuz it's so cool how they developed this. And they were like we're going to we're going to showcase these mechanics in a little different way during this larping section. Super simple, but they take the dialogue choices and turn it into basically combat, right? Like a, like a an RPG JRPG style combat, turn-based combat system where you're still using the same sort of dialogue wheel, you're still using the same dialogue options. It's still translated through that same lens of dialogue because it's larping, right? Like you're not actually attacking things, you're just saying, "I'm casting fireball." So they give you the ability to larp through the same exact mechanics of dialogue, which is really clever. Hmm. And then they take it a step further, and it's so fucking cool the way they did this. Uh, it's like I, I love when game developers fuck with like how you're presented the mechanics and give you different ways of experiencing them. And during the larping moment, there there's a moment where the kid that you're playing with, you know, has intense feelings, and you get to experience the world through them. Right? Like you 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 break into this moment and. You get to experience the world as this kid experiencing the LARPing adventure. And so all of a sudden, the fucking park and city around you turns into this magical world with castles and dragons. And you're seeing that through the character's eyes. And the fucking system changes. It changes from being basic dialogue things to you have a JRPG menu. It's the same mechanic, but now you're seeing the mechanic through the child's eyes of, like, you are no longer having dialogue. I'm selecting my character and using the ability and seeing the ability come to life. And, like, it's so fucking cool. And it's such a good development moment that, like... I loved it, I was just like, I felt like a fucking child, like, all of a sudden, just like, this mechanic has completely changed, the world has changed, and I am doing this now as a kid, just, like, experiencing this in a real and raw way that is not unexpected or out of the realm of the mechanics of this game that are still the exact same mechanics that are just presented differently, presented, like, in the UI of... A JRPG instead of in the UI of a dialogue choice tree. Super cool, like really fucking cool moment. Like, <laughs> um, so that's like like very. I, I, it's not even really a spoiler. Uh, I don't like. I'm not ta- Don't want to get into like the narrative of any of that or anything. Um, but it's a very cool gameplay moment that it's just like it's like
1: such good game design. So, uh, did you ever play the previous Life is Strange games? No, I have not interesting so you wouldn't really know how to compare this the the previous games had a mechanic where you could essentially rewind time and try a decision again and do it do it a different way to see how it would go Uh, oh nothing like that in this one yeah in this one it sounds completely fundamentally different uh where Mm -hmm. your ability has more to do with like understanding exactly how people are feeling and then being able to like jump into their mind and feel what they're feeling too
0: Yes. um, and, and a lot of it, it's interesting because it felt very linear as a result. Like there were not a lot of choices I could actively make that were like, oh, this feels like I'm going against something or like this feels like like everything was very much presented in a way of like, you are understanding the world about these characters you're understanding the world around them you're understanding the wor- like what's going on through their head how this environment is making them feel and you are using that information to respond correctly so it was a really interesting pre- presentation of that cuz like there there were some choices you could make um and i know some of them probably made uh i mean it's it, 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 the whole arbitrary illusion of choice that a lot of these games fall into. Like, I think there are probably two endings, two or three endings to this game. And most of them are decided by a single decision or two you make. Uh, And it's, it's kind of pretty clear in the game when it's like, Oh, this is one of those decisions that's going to change the ending. Uh, And then but there's a couple of like little ones you can make along the way that are just like, I could do this if I want um, just to like see the response. But It was, it was an interesting way of presenting this, like, I don't think I would have ever wanted to make a negative choice in this game, because, like, the way they give it to you, like, it it never felt like I was missing out, that it was like, oh, I can't respond in a way that I'm not supposed to right now. It was like, this is why I'm supposed to respond like this, and it makes sense, and I don't want to respond any other way, um which was interesting. It was, it was very linear in that regard. It wasn't a lot of like active. I'm making a choice. I don't know if this was the right choice. I don't know. Like most of the choices you made really just affected your relationship with the character, not the outcome of things, which uh, I I feel is kind of different in how some of these games usually operate. Time. I, I, I'm curious if there's any crossover
1: on the character. Have you played the first one? I played it. Uh, It's very, very good. Uh, I, it it kind of plays very much like those like telltale kind of point and click adventure games where you just kind of walk around an environment, find a couple of things and then make some decisions. Uh, it has, it's, it's it's a very interesting series because they do sequels, but they don't necessarily have all the same characters. They did uh, another one that was like the misadventures of some kid and it was like, a completely different story with completely different abilities but it it always has to do with like someone who's young who develops some kind of really crazy ability and that ends up shaping their life somehow
0: yeah i i, I gotta talk about the story of this game a little bit not like in detail i'm gonna be very vague here so just like please uh bear with me
1: but i i really like I already spoiled you a little bit on Beacon Pines earlier, so...
0: <laughs> I, I don't give a fuck about spoilers to, like, at all. I will forget spoilers in a minute, so... Fair, <laughs> fair. Um, the game itself is, like... I was not very impressed with the writing, honestly. Like, the writing was kind of okay. Uh, it was... It was it it was on par with what I would expect for, you know, writing in a video game, you know, sometimes you get a game that's like, that is fucking world-class writing, and I'm very surprised they hired, like, someone who fucking writes to do this, uh, and, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, this is plot very much in service of the gameplay, that's pretty easy to identify, and, like, this one was, like, it's not bad writing, like, like not shit on the writers or anything, like, it's, it's solid writing, It, it holds up, but it wasn't, like, anything to, you know, like, like, mind-blowing, it was not, like, uh, it, it was, it was okay, but what they did incredibly, incredibly well in this game was just, like, they showcase human interaction and, in, like, really small moments and little mm. gestures and, like, one-off quips that hit in such a real and raw way. And they, like, they present that in such an insignificant and seemingly unimportant manner that it is just, like, this is people.
1: You know, and that it, is it, it, such it's... a good point. I I, I was listening to a, an interview from, like, uh, Hayao Miyazaki, and he mentioned that one of the most important parts of his work is the moment in between. It's the moment of travel and like the moment that like is so often skipped, uh, of like just being moving from one space to another, or just existing in a space for a while and taking it in, uh, and like just really breathing in that world and existing with these characters. That was something that was really strong in the first Life of Strange game as well, where you kind of just got to feel like you were hanging out with these characters. Even if they didn't quite feel like they were authentic, because sometimes I feel like the writing can be a little bit like uh, an adult writing a, a child.
0: Oh, you're saying that for the game, clearly. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, like, the, the moments of soft-spokenness and the moments of, like, mellow, not really much is happening are, like, weirdly powerful, and they're weirdly immersive.
0: So unbelievably powerful. Like, I, to a point that I was not expecting it at all, and every time one of those moments hit, it was just like, uh... I they do character building and development in in a way that just, like, the the characters all feel like people that exist in this world that had lives before you as a player started to experience it. Yeah.
1: One of the most memorable moments from the first Life is Strange was just a moment where uh, the two main characters who are kind of in a little bit of a romantic uh, relationship uh, are just hanging out in the room together, and they're just enjoying a moment of silence while listening to music. And it's like, it's like that moment, it, it sort of feels like it could last infinitely yeah exactly it's just like beautiful and like how you're just sharing this moment in time and how that sort of wells up into all these different emotions and it's just so simple
0: it's so simple and it's so underrated and like i i it's not really presented well in games a lot that like it just, like, it reminds you of, like, the depths of the characters and the lives, their lives, and, like, the the fuck the profound impact that just, like, one little moment can have on people and, like, each other and the world around you, even if it doesn't feel significant at all, that you only get that insight on, that feeling from because you were able to view it from an external lens that like, even in that moment, it probably like as a person experiencing this, it would have made an impact on you, but it wouldn't have been like, Oh, this is a moment. Like, it's so interesting. And like, I, you know, I I I wrote a couple vague ones here to talk about that like <laughs> Go ahead. The end of chapter one. I had no fucking clue what was gonna happen. It, not a spoiler at all. I'm not gonna talk about it still, but like it's in the trailer. It's very obvious it's going to happen if you go into the game with any insight on the game itself. I had no clue. There's a decision I made in the middle of the chapter that I was like, ah, oh, this is the right thing to do. This is a cool choice to make. And then like Two-thirds of the way through the chapter, I came to the realization of, like, oh, fuck, that was a bad choice to make. There are going to be consequences for that. And then, like, a minute later, the characters were like, oh, hey, you know that choice you made? There's consequences for that. Which was, like, oh, it was such salt in the wound (laughs) that I realized it right before the game brought it up. (sighs) Oh. But then the consequences ended up being one of those things that, like, you can't avoid. But it was still unexpected and, like, oh, oh, I was, like look how's the game gonna do this so early
1: (laughs) because like in moments like those it can be kind of hard especially when you feel like you had no no choice where like or maybe you you feel like you did have a choice but you fucked up where like you just want to restart instead of like continuing with the bad decision but like i don't know there's something kind of powerful in that the game forces you to make a decision that you think is bad and then have you keep going with it like yeah
0: and it's like i know that the results of my decision prob, it absolutely wouldn't have changed the outcome and the things still would have happened in the same way but like as a player who experienced that as soon as i realized it i was like mm. fuck that is something that like i i see how that daisy chain is happening now and i see how that is the direct result of my action in this case rather than like the result of a character choosing to do something outside of what i did Mm. which was really interesting and like god the first time you you fucking after you after you get into the game you you get like access to your phone and you can like read through your text messages and stuff um and the game it's it's so fucking good and such good character development and world building they give you your text messages
1: you just actually get text messages throughout the game and you can just check them.
0: Well, not even that. Yes, yes, absolutely, but also you have this character's phone. The text messages don't just start when you started playing as a character player. So, you have like two years of history of this character's text messages that you can read through. And it feels invasive and weird, but it's like it is the character, and you get to experience the events that the character experienced before you as a player even knew about this character.
1: Oh, that's cool. So, the more that. That is like one of the most underrated aspects of world building is the moment before. That is like actually probably the most important thing. If you have a ton of ideas of what happened before, you know, the main story, the main story can be so much more rich and you can fill it with so much more context and specificity. Uh... I, I really like that. That's cool. it was
0: it was so good, and like reading through the text messages too. Like I was fucking broken. It's hard. Ho- like oh. it is legitimately reading your character's journal and text messages are hard. Like like it is real and it's fucked up and like it's hard. It's good. Oh, it's so good. Almost
1: it's, it sounds almost voyeuristic.
0: It, it really is. Like, it felt super invasive because you're learning very intimate details about the character, but it's also, like, informing you as a player about the character and what they've been through and what they're going through and, like, why these things mean so much to the character. And, like, you are not you are you get to experience the world more fully because you have that understanding and it's so good and then there's like the scene there's a scene with charlotte like through the game that like it's fucking it, it, like it starts talking about that character's trauma and like how they're experiencing the world and they just like they make like fucking two lines in that thing that are just like fuck oh it's so hard to hear that character talk about what they're going through because it's like it's real and genuine and it it it's it's reflective of how you understand that character and what they're going through and what you as a player are experiencing and, and it's just like it's good it's that that dialogue with charlotte when, when you get to it you'll know what i'm talking about it, it's fucking it, it's good it's powerful and it's real um hell yeah and then there is there's this one moment, and I'm gonna go a little bit into detail on this, because this one was like just like broke my heart with happiness. Like uh the end of the game, there's a cutscene. I, I won't talk about too much in the cutscene, but it's it's sort of like going over some stuff, and it's like, you know, your life in Haven and like, you know, of a, a flash forward of what it could be essentially. Um, you're sort of like daydreaming about what life is. Uh and you know, you can romance one of the characters, Steph, in the game. And there's just, like, there's this fucking wholesome, sweet moment where it's just, like, flashing through, like, all the characters and some of your interactions with them and, like, how your life would be with these people in it and how you would interact with them. Uh, and there's just this moment that you're sitting at the tavern and the kid that that you've been interacting with is there with you playing D&D and Steph is like the dungeon master who's done a bunch of D&D stuff through the game and you're sitting there at the table and Steph is there at the table and the kid is there and the three of you are like playing D&D and it's just fucking small brief moment of the cutscene where you both reach under the table and you fucking hold hands together under the table
1: Oh. And
0: it's so sweet and genuine. And it's like, that is a real moment. That is like, that is that is what would happen in that yeah. scenario. And it's so sweet. And it just like, God, it resonated. And the game is
1: just filled. If there's filled. one thing that the Life is Strange games are, it's sincere.
0: Yeah, it's it's so filled with these like little powerful moments that don't mean anything, but also they mean everything. And like... It fucking, it, it just like constantly, I cried like, I'm crying right now recalling that scene, like
1: oh, <laughs> <Aww. laughs> It just well, that's like when you know they did, they did good. It, yeah. And I love a game that can make me get a good cry I'm like, kind of masochistic for it. I like when games can make me cry. Because mm-hmm. I like, There's it wasn't just like media. crying
0: from sadness, you know it was just like crying from happiness yeah. and just like, like sadness and frustration and for a game that central theme is about empathy and emotion and experiencing what other people are feeling like it translated so fucking well through the little moments of this game that like it it was good it was very good in a very profound way that like i was not expecting and i i it's hard to describe because it's not it wasn't significant, but it like it was, you know, it's it like all I can think about are like the times in my life where like little things that, like that have happened. And it's like it didn't mean anything to me in the moment. It was just like, this is what we do. This is like caring about someone else. This is showing affection. This is showing frustration. This is showing care. But like that's powerful and like being able mm-hmm. to see that through an external lens and like be a part of these moments was just like it was so good it was so good um sounds
1: like such a such a delightful experience
0: it was <laughs> it was so delightful <laughs> <laughs> um there was there's was so many good talks in this game about like, you know, family and home and generational trauma, like what it feels like to grow up in a world that you feel like you don't have a place or you're different or unusual or, you know, finding home in your strangeness, learning to accept yourself, uh, you know, making new connections and empathizing with people. And like I it, it, and it goes beyond just like, how do you empathize with people and what that means? But like. Also, showing the, like, real dangers and struggles and, and like, the emotional labor and dysregulation that comes with, like, trying to help people through emotional crisis. Mm. And, like, what it means to take that on empathetically, too, of, like, being there for someone and understanding their struggle and seeing the world through your eyes. Like, that is emotional labor that you have to take on, and that is a burden that you have to do and work you have to do yourself, too, that is, like like, in some areas is dysregulating and harmful, and, like, so, like, there's this balance of, like, what it means to help others but also hurt ourselves in the process, and, like, where that pain that we inflict on ourselves to help others is worth it, and, like... It's so good. And, like, they even get into, like, trying to fix the problem versus, like, listening to it and, like, making you make choices of, like, is this a thing I solve or is this a thing that I just listen to and be there for for the person? And, like, the way the characters respond to that. That is such
1: an important distinction because there's so many times in my life when I just needed to vent to somebody, but then they try to solve all my problems for me. And it's like, I don't need you to solve it. I just needed to get this off my chest.
0: And and that's something i struggle with a lot of like i want to make the problems better and and in some regard too like this game was like kind of reassuring in that way of like like actively seeing and experiencing listening make it better like, because it was mm. a very visual feedback of that. Like, you got to see the emotions the character went through and, like, calm down. And, like, and there were times where it was, like, this is not my place. And I know I can't fix the problem. And I know you're still upset, but I have to walk away. And, like, it was it was so nice seeing that and seeing that presented in a way that it's, like, it makes it more understandable and makes it feel more impactful, because sometimes listening doesn't feel like it's enough. It doesn't feel like you're doing enough, or being helpful, or being impactful, but, like, it is a lot of times to more impactful to just sit there and listen. Yeah, it's a good game, and they also fucking corporations suck and they talk about the ugly underbelly of corporations and how <laughs> shitty they are and and, and it's so good because they even get they, they get your anti-capitalist bullshit like fuck this place the system is rigged these corporations are all out to get us shit in there too so like you get emotional connection and and anarchy in there too so it's great I didn't write any nitpicks my only nitpicks is the genre sucks <laughs> <laughs> what you just don't like talking games
1: I don't like talking games <laughs> <laughs> um it's so funny because you chose that it was one of your first choices
0: it's because it's a <laughs> game that i've like i've really wanted to get into the life of strange series and i i knew this was like the opportunity to finally do it and force myself to do it because i don't think i would have otherwise uh, mm. and as i said like this this was a saber of labor for me like i it felt like labor the whole time i'm not crazy about this kind of gameplay i was very bored playing it actively most of the time Uh, Most of these games I would describe as games that I would much rather and enjoy watching someone else play rather than playing myself, but I do not think I would have came out of this game having had the same experience if I was not actively, like, forced to engage with Mm. it by playing it. it. You know, it forced me to stay connected and pay attention and, like, actively participate in the game more, which a lot of those moments I probably would have missed having just watched someone play it and they would not have had that same impact as like me feeling as connected to the character and world as I did playing it. Like it's, it's, it's really interesting because it really translates that idea of like what is impactful in what medium and like the, these kinds of games 90% of the time could just be a movie, right? Like it's not, it's, it, it could just be a film like a short film or something, but it would not have had that same impact even if you have very little a- like actual agency as a player in this game i don't think it would have had that same impact without giving you direct control and feel like being able to to drive the character and feel like you are pushing it forward and and feel more directly connected with the character as a result.
1: Yeah, that's what excites me the most about these types of games. Like the first one that I really played like this and the one that really sticks with me the most uh, and it's still considered to be one of my favorite games of all time uh, is the original Telltale's Walking Dead season one uh, where you are making the decisions that the characters in the show would have had to make. And in doing so... It does something that only video games can do by forcing you to make a decision. And by forcing you to make a decision, it 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 gives you agency that you would otherwise just have as a spectator. Just watching something is not the same as making a decision to choose to one thing or the other. And like That means literally a character could live or die based on your decisions, and that changes the outcome of the story, even if by the end both characters end up dying or whatever because it doesn't really matter. Uh, Just because you got that more time with that one character, you get to see them in a couple extra chapters. It makes the adventure feel so much more personalized and like your decisions really matter, even if at the end of the day they don't really matter that much and it always railroads to the same point. Uh, Which, I don't know, does this game kind of railroad, or is there multiple endings?
0: Well, and that's what I was gonna say, too, is that, like, this game does not have that extent of, like, I don't think there are any characters that can die in this story. Like, it is not that level of, like, like, the impact that you're having on these characters is not life or death. Yeah, it's it's more
1: about, like, relationships.
0: Purely, it is almost purely relationship. It is, like, how... It is it is this is a great way to put it. Um the the decisions and choices in, you make in this game aren't what is going to ha- like it's it's it is what is this world and your relationships going to look like after you as a player leave. It's really hmm. interesting because it's not it is not that like this is this is radically changing my play experience as a player, and I think it captures that really like the way it captures the the characters' lives before you you coming in as a player too. I I think it really sells that too of like you are deciding what the world is going to look like for this character after you leave, and so it it doesn't feel as as uh you know life or death literally. But it is, like, it is still very meaningful in that way.
1: Yeah, there's still a lot of stakes. It's just not, like, life or death, end of the world. It's, like, whether or not my best friend is still going to like me at the end of the week.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it is, it is, it is, and I think that is, like, part of, like, God, I as I think about it more, I'm like, God, the, the themes of this game translated so well throughout. Because it's, like... By the end of it, it is not... I I predominantly wasn't even thinking about myself as a player. I was thinking about the character. And I was like, what is best for this character? What choice... Like, I I think there are probably four endings that you can make have at the end of it and it was like what is like that is what i was thinking is what is best for this character what choices should i make that is going to make this character happy for the first time in their life kind of thing like
1: that's so fascinating to me because so many games put you in essentially have you be like you aren't really the protagonist you are playing as the protagonist you are making decisions like as you would kind of make them in that moment but forcing you to think about the context of this character and their life and what they need. Like that's that's also core to the, the the game's themes. And that's really interesting of of being empathetic towards not only other people but towards yourself. Yeah, towards yourself, towards
0: the medium you consume, like the like the characters in the world around you. Like it's it's yeah, it's very good. I uh yeah.
1: So uh would you say that was your game of the week? You know, yes i'm very torn to say scorn
0: though based on how you talked about it and everything like i feel like i would fuck with that game so hard once i play it um but yes this one was probably my game of the week
1: i think that you will fuck with scorn when you play it too i want to <laughs> see it with your nasty stream layout yeah your nasty, goopy stream layout that would be so good
0: you know i've been thinking about streaming again i i was like <sighs>
1: you should
0: I my thought right now is I'll wait till I get to a new place and that'll be like sort of like I'll have better internet. It's a good like mile marker in my life to start streaming again. But also some part of me this last like two weeks has just been like I could just fucking start.
1: I should just start again. Like why wait? I mean, why not?
0: What was your game of the week?
1: My game of the week was absolutely Beacon Pines. Uh, I really enjoyed Scorn, but playing it wasn't really that good. <laughs> I like thinking about and, and looking at Scorn more than I like playing it. Beacon Pines was a lovely experience from start to finish, and I really feel like I could recommend that game to just about anybody. If you're interested in like a narrative, fun, adventure, mystery, uh, it's got just the right amount of scary, just the right amount of cute, just the right amount of fun uh i didn't mention before but they added like two i i, I did mention that they added two mini games i mentioned that one was the fishing mini game i didn't mention that there's another one that takes place in like a diner and it's really it's like all these are like memories in the past and so it's like back when you're six years old and you're helping out the, at the diner and you get to like basically take everybody's order and use the charms that you got to create the order uh so for example like one of the characters is like this rich lady and she's like i want you to burn my burger no you don't understand i want it to be charred i want it to be a brick and i want you to put whatever the most expensive thing you have in there in the burger please and so you give her a you combine incendiary uh with uh like fancy and then that turns it into a like char boiled burger with like caviar on top (laughs) and then you know there's like another guy who's like i want candy and prickly pears It's like, all right, so you you, you do sweet and succulent and you give them a burger with candy and prickly pears and you get like a little extra bit of dialogue. And like just that little bit is like weirdly a nice bit of like world building just because like I feel like you learn a lot about people from what they eat. One of the characters even mentions (laughs) that. It's like my favorite candy is licorice. And uh, he's like asks the other characters what their favorite candy is. And he's like, oh, I see. Can learn a lot about people from what kind of candy they like. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like something that
0: someone who likes licorice would say.
1: <laughs> uh, not to be a licorice hater or anything, but you know. <laughs> I, I really thoroughly enjoyed Beacon Pines. The twists and turns are so good. I feel like I can't share them and I feel like you should just enjoy the ride. Uh, Hell yeah. It's a very wonderful tale about uh, industrialization and small-town living and by the way this entire time. I've been describing this game I haven't mentioned the fact that everybody's a fucking furry. <laughs> I Didn't mention that I guess it was just taking it granted taking a face value But yeah, everybody's the like, character designs are great in this game Like uh, every single character has like a unique personality and animal body type And that like kind of affects how you feel about them when you see them. I don't know. It's it's cute. It's lovely I, I think that you should play this game if you're into mystery games. Our charity this month was the Hidden Genius Project. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the Hidden Genius Project trains and mentors black male youth in technology, creation, entrepreneurship, and leadership skills to transform their lives and communities.
1: Dope! So uh, I've been playing a bunch of other games recently. Uh, of course, I've been playing a little bit of Dead by Daylight on stream. It's kind of my go-to. Uh, but I started playing this game called Foam Stars recently is sony's take on splatoon
0: oh it's the sony splatoon game okay
1: yeah and so basically it's it's very similar uh, but instead of paint you spit out foam and the foam can grow in size so you can like create platforms and stuff uh and it has this main game type that's really fun uh where you basically have like nine lives and it's 3v3 And then at the end of those nine lives, whoever's the best player on your team becomes the star player. And then the game becomes taking out the star player. And then whoever takes out the other team's star player first wins. So it kind of becomes this cat and mouse game. And like, it's genius because whoever is really good in carrying the team now is like the person that everybody else is trying to protect. And if you go in alone, uh, you're just going to like end up kind of giving the game to the other team. So it's a lot of thoughtful play uh and it's completely different than splatoon you're not just trying to cover everything up uh i i think it's a very fascinating game and i just think that the, the dialogue is awful the, <laughs> everything besides the gameplay sucks like i really even enjoyed like the battle pass but like oh my god the the fucking dialogue in this game just makes me want to die on the inside It's like, I I did the whole story, and it was just kind of miserable. Was
0: Splatoon's dialogue much better?
1: Yes. Actually, yes. Oh, that's speaking volumes, (laughs) then. Oh, shit. (laughs) In comparison, yes. It is that bad. But the gameplay is really fun. (laughs) Hey, sometimes that's all you need. Yeah, so
0: I've been enjoying it. Sometimes it's about the experience and not the story.
1: It's a great vibe. Uh, I've also been playing Pikmin 3 Deluxe on stream, been trying to 100% that. Uh, I started Persona 3 Reload, honestly, off of a random choice, because I was trying to figure out what to do one night, and then I was like, I put everything on a spinner, and then I spun it, and then it landed on Persona 3 Reload, so I started it, and that game is fun. I played played a little bit of uh, Persona 3 FES, which is like uh, the golden version of the original game, but I only got about halfway through, uh, and I'm just really excited to finally get into my first Persona game, like really fully, truly. I was going to say,
0: I think Persona 3 might be my, the Reloaded might be my first Persona game I finally play to.
1: I think that you should pick it up. I think that it's one of the best places to start. Uh, and it's on Game Pass right now. So it's really easy to just okay. jump into. I was
0: just pulled up Game Pass to look.
1: <laughs> Which, by the way, I think I mentioned earlier, Life is Strange uh, was on Game Pass. I just checked. It actually isn't. Sorry, oh, I lied.
0: Fucking liar.
1: Yeah, it, it was on there for like a year, and then it left. I'm so going to leave it in, really too, lying. so that
0: everyone has to hear.
1: Yeah, well, I told you now, so it's been corrected. You don't, <laughs> it's been corrected an hour later. And then I'm going to edit guess. out your correction. Fuck you. <laughs> 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 Got him <laughs> uh, I, I can talk more about that game Because I will be speaking more on it later As I play it more uh, And finally I want to mention Tekken 8 uh, God damn I really like Tekken 8 Holy shit I like Tekken 8 I have been meaning to get into Tekken for so long. I've never bought a Tekken game at release. I got into Tekken 7 really late in its life cycle, and I only kind of got into it. Now that I'm getting into this day one, I'm having the time of my life, and it is just such a a fun, aggressive fighting game. Every character feels viable, and every character is fun. I'm having such a hard time choosing a main. Uh, it's, It's just such a fun game that I'm really looking forward to playing all the time, and I've done all the story and character missions. I'm just trying to figure out which character I want to take to the the very end right now, I'm kind of leaning on azu she's she's a new character, she's Peruvian, and her whole thing is that she's trying to promote her coffee company Because uh, her family runs like a coffee business a plantation in Peru, and so everywhere she goes she does m m a fights just and she's like, "All right, buy my coffee <laughs>
0: I love that
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I also really like uh, a lot of the other characters in that game too. It's hard. It's hard to choose uh, exactly one that I'm gonna stick with. But right now, it's seeming like she's she's great. And I guess that's it for me. What else have you been playing?
0: Uh, I've been playing. I was doing some tiny rogues a little bit ago, which is a cute little rogue like like just it's a silly little game. Um, I was having fun with it. It's it's a good just like I need a five minute fucking bullshit game. Um. I did some Pal World, obviously. Like everyone. Oh else God, on the I planet. forgot.
1: Yeah, we, we haven't really meant we haven't done a podcast since Pal World came out. That's been a massive game that we've been playing. Yeah,
0: we did. We did a lot of Pal World.
1: Arguably, Pal World is the reason why we didn't do a podcast last month. Honestly, yeah, it is. <laughs> we we picked games, we played a little bit, and then
0: Pal World came out, and we were like, "Ah, fuck it, we'll start next month." We're
1: <laughs> just gonna do Pal World. Thanks. <laughs>
0: Uh and I did we, 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 we started to dip back into GTFO, which I'm very excited about. And then I finally, finally got to start Helldivers 2 the other day. Uh fantastic game already. I am loving it so much. I I'm was so a huge excited. fan of the first one, and I think like the changes and developments in this game and the way they've like completely redone the game to be a whole new genre is super cool and fascinating. But it also still captures a lot of the great feeling and vibes and like core gameplay that made the first one really fun. Which which is awesome. Uh,
1: it's so weird that I'd never heard of Helldivers until now because it's from a company that I really like and it's a genre that I think I would enjoy. So it feels weird that I missed it until now. I'm just so excited to finally get into it.
0: And the writing is, it's so dumb and tongue-in-cheek and really, like, abrasively, like, FOR
1: DEMOCRACY!
0: Yeah. (laughs) We know we're colonizers! We're doing this for colonizing! Let's go!
1: (laughs) (laughs) They're very much, like, fascist, tongue-in-cheek kind of silliness, yeah.
0: And then I've been playing some Balatro, too, which is a new roguelike that just came out that I've been playing too much of and is surprisingly good for what is very basic mechanics of just like poker, but a roguelike.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I've been seeing you play that game. It looks interesting.
0: Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. I I've been enjoying it. There's a lot of like the way that the runs shape out is really interesting, even though it's super like, like the objective and how you build, like what you're trying to do doesn't change at all, but just like a couple of things, very wildly swing how you like what you're building for in your hands each turn, which is like, it's really cool. There's a lot of variety for what is essentially just playing with playing cards
1: Hell yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I guess that's it. Uh you can catch me on stream or you can catch the podcast on podcast places.
0: Uh you might catch me on stream if I ever decide to again. Who knows? Maybe soon. Maybe scorn.
1: You better, I'm still pay I'm still paying for my subscription. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah. Cool.
0: That's it. We did it.
1: Hey, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day or a good rest of your night, whatever it is, and a good rest of your year, too, while I'm at it.
0: Yeah, enjoy your life. We may never see you again with how much we podcast, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: God, <Lisa> it. <laughs> I, want to get it. I want to at least get, like, a two-month streak going. I don't want to fucking Yeah, we got this. We got this. We're dedicated. We're,
0: we're, we're back.
1: We're fucking back. We're fucking we're, back.
0: We're back full string. We figured out our depression. <laughs>
1: We figured out depression times and we're gonna live together. It'll be easier too. It's gonna
0: be so much easier when we live together.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm excited.
0: Alright, bye! Bye!
1: Yeah.